Thank you so much for being with us, for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, and then verses 20 through 28, and then verses 50 uh, through 58. Um, the passage is right here on the screen, and so again, this is a, an active service this morning. So let's read these verses together. But again, keep your hand in your Bible so you can follow along in just a minute. Let's read this out loud and with in the enthusiasm worthy of this day. Now, brothers... This is the word of the Lord, and you can be seated. So again, keep your Bible open if you have it, and we're just going to take a few minutes here. Um, 
Maybe about two or three weeks ago, I walked into my son's uh, bedroom. Uh, They were both asleep. Uh, The almost seven-year-old and the almost two-year-old were sound asleep. And uh, sometimes I'll go in and just check on them because they're quiet (laughs) at that point when they're sound asleep and peaceful. And um, and I had this moment. uh, It just kind of hit me. And I don't have really good words to describe it. It wasn't happiness. Uh, it wasn't contentment. The best way I can describe it is just this profound joy. And uh, it, it, I wasn't planning on feeling that. I wasn't thinking about anything particularly you know, spiritual or righteous. I was just in that room looking at my two sleeping sons and just this overwhelming, again, the best word that I can think of to, to use would be uh, joy. Uh, just overwhelming, overwhelming joy. And I've had moments like this uh, over the course of my life, and maybe you have too. Not all that often. Uh, usually completely spontaneous. Uh, not something that can be planned for. But just like a flash of joy. Where for a moment, things kind of clear away. And priorities shift. And it feels almost like I'm seeing or feeling or experiencing something from somewhere else. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, and if you're like me, you've experienced this in different moments, a deep conversation with a good friend or being out in nature and this perfect sunrise or sunset. Those of you with more of an artistic bent, maybe it's while you're playing your instrument or, or singing. Maybe it's when you were pushing yourself really hard in a, in a given moment and it, again, everything just sort of clicks. And again, if you're like me, this just doesn't happen all that often. So I, I remembered this moment from a few weeks ago, standing in my boy's room. Um, and, and if you're like me, um, those moments pass really quickly. And my tendency is to pretty quickly forget them, to kind of forget those flashes of joy. And I, and I do this for a couple of reasons. One, it, it doesn't happen all that often. They're pretty rare, these moments. Regular life is much more normal. <laughs> sort of the day-to-day stuff. Um, that consumes your time and my time, that's what I pay attention to. The other reason I think that I move so quickly past these flashes of joy is that I I sort of think of them as being exceptional, as being outside of the norm. So they're somehow not, they're not real. At least that's how I I treat them. So what I want to say this morning in these very few minutes is that this is what the resurrection means to me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means to me that these flashes of joy are not random deviations, but are, in fact, powerful clues. These flashes of joy are not distractions from real life, but they are glimpses into the realest life, the truest life, the eternal life, the abundant life that was won for us by Jesus. The passage that we just read was written by the Apostle Paul to an early church in a city called Corinth. It was written not that many years after Jesus' resurrection. And in the chapter that we just read, chapter 15, Paul reminds this young church, this early church, about the very foundation of their faith in verses 3 through 5. And basically what Paul says is, Jesus died to atone for your sins. You were a sinful people. You were a guilty people. You were a a people, as Doran reminded, who struggled under the weight of shame. Jesus died to atone for this, to rescue you from this. 
Paul says, and then he was buried. In other words, he was really dead. (laughs) He died. He didn't fake it. He didn't sort of like his spirit leave his body at the last moment and escape to heaven. He died. And Paul says, and then according to the scriptures, on the third day, he was raised to life. He's reminding them of the very essence, the very foundations of their faith. And then for the rest of the chapter, he tries to show them that this basic gospel, Jesus died, was buried and resurrected, that this basic gospel changes everything. Everything is changed by the events of that weekend. The resurrection changes our past. The debt for our sins has been paid. Amen? Paul says Jesus died as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So the the resurrection, the gospel addresses our past. What, What has already happened who we were, what was done to us, what we did. The gospel addresses our past. In verses 20 through 22, we're reminded that when we confess Jesus as Lord, this is how how deep this goes. When we confess Jesus as Lord, our, our lineage changes. Paul says you were children of Adam. You were children of death. You were born into this. But because of Jesus' atoning sacrifice, your lineage has changed. You are now children of your heavenly Father. You have a new name. You are no longer children of death. You are children of life. Jesus, through his resurrection, changes our past. We are now heirs to eternal life with Jesus Christ. We are children of the living God. Is that good news? So Jesus changes our past, but he also changes, the resurrection changes our future. And we see this in the second section that we look through, verses 20 through 28. You see, the resurrection doesn't just point us backwards. It also points ahead to the direction that God is taking history. Verses 20 through 28, Paul tells us that the victorious Jesus is even now, as a result of his victory over sin, death, and evil, reigning as the universe's Lord. This means that Jesus right now is waging battle on your behalf. He is waging battle against your enemies. All that would seek to deceive you all that would seek to distract or destroy you will be defeated by Jesus Christ. Even death, even death has already been defeated defeated once and Paul says one day will be swallowed up. Isn't that a great image? (laughs) Like gone. Consumed by abundant and eternal life in Jesus Christ. All of the enemies that would seek to destroy you are being battled by Jesus and will be won over one day. Amen? The resurrection means that you have been saved from your sinful past and that you have hope for a glorious future. Past and future are addressed by the resurrection, which leaves what? The present. It leaves the present, and this is 
um, this is where sometimes we just kind of skip. There are some of us who would be super focused on that future part, right? We're the justice warriors. God going to make all things right, so we got to get on board right now. Some of us are like more in the past. Man, look what Jesus did for me. If you knew who I once was. Paul holds these together. The past and the future. And by doing so, he shows us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ means something significant for the present, for today. Day. What does it mean for us today? In verse 20, Paul uses an agricultural metaphor. He says that, that the resurrection of Jesus is like the first fruits. The first fruits is, is the first fruit that shows up on a, uh, on a fruit-bearing tree. So that my wife and I go, and our kids go to a, a, a cottage, a friend's cottage, once every summer. For a week, it's quiet, peaceful, we love it. There's a couple of uh, fruit-bearing trees at this cottage. And depending on what time of year we get there, there might be apples on, the tr- on one tree, there might be peaches on a different tree. And more than once, we've been deceived by the first fruits. We've pulled up, and we're kind of like, are there going to be peaches this year? Because my wife makes a really good peach cobbler. Are there going to be peaches this year? And we drive up, like, there's peaches! And then we walk up to the tree, and no, it's just the first fruits. It's just a few little peaches that are hard, that are not tasty, that are not juicy, that would not make a good cobbler, right? And that's it. There's maybe four, five, six of them on the tree. So it's a little disappointing. But even like an agriculturally incompetent person like myself, who wouldn't know an apple pea from a tree, peach tree, can look at that tree and say, A, I know it's a peach tree because I can see the first fruits, and I know there's a harvest of peaches coming, right? I... We might, already, we might miss it. We'd probably be home by then already. But somebody is going to be enjoying some good peach cobbler at some point because I can see the first fruits. I can see those, those little peaches there ready to come. There's more behind it. There's more coming. Paul says the resurrection. Now, this is really, really important. Paul says the resurrection of Jesus Christ is like those first fruits. This means, this means that, that you and I will be raised to life one day as well. Jesus is the first fruits. You and I are the harvest. If Jesus is, is those first little peaches that show up on the tree. We're the abundant harvest that God will one day reap. We look at Jesus and we see, this is so important, we see not just like a one-time anomaly in history, not just an exception to the rule. We see the future. We see what God is doing and will do. This is why Paul uses this metaphor. Because there were some people in that church who said, did he really rise from the dead? Can people even rise from the dead? Is that a thing that can happen? And Paul says, you need to understand, not only can it happen, but it will happen for you. This is where God is taking history. But here's the second thing that, that, that is important about this first fruits metaphor. Because Jesus' resurrection is not just an, an anomaly, a, a miraculous exception to the rule of death then in some very real sense, his resurrection is the truest thing that has ever happened in this world. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the first of what is to come, if one day we too will be raised, if one day God will make all things right in the pattern of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then in a very real sense, nothing else has been more true than the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it points ahead to what will one day be final in all of history. 
Are you with me? Are you tracking? Nothing is more true than the resurrection through that lens. Nothing is more real than the resurrection of Jesus Christ if indeed he is the first fruits, as Paul says he is. The pain and the suffering in, war, in this world and in your life are absolutely true. These are real things. And the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is all the evidence that we need that God takes your pain and your suffering seriously. He is compassionate. He is empathetic to the point where he takes it onto himself and lets the wheels of injustice and sin crush his body. He takes sin and evil and injustice deadly seriously. These things are true and they matter. But seen from this side of the cross, what we have to be able to say is that those things, those evils, those injustices, those sins are not the truest thing in your life. Are not the realest thing in your life. The truest thing the world has ever known is the moment when, as John said earlier, Jesus got up. Nothing else was more true or real than that moment in history. Amen? So let's go back to those flashes of joy. These moments that you have of selfless delight, of overwhelming beauty, of holy wonder. These are glimpses into something real and true. Real life, true life, abundant life, eternal life. Just like the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a historical anomaly and now we get back to business as usual, but instead points us to where God is taking history, those moments of pure and beautiful joy where you are overwhelmed with this sense there, there has to be something more and better, this too points beyond the moment you stand into what God is doing and will one day accomplish. Amen? The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that your past has been forgiven. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that your future has been secured. The resurrection of Jesus means that your present is full of possibility. You are a forgiven person. You are a secure person. We are a saved people and a, and a hopeful people. This means that we can face the suffering, the evil, the pain, the suffering, the death in our world, the violence of our world with courage and conviction. We can be a compassionate people to the circumstances around us. Why? Because we know this is not the end of the story. Because we know that even this is not the truest thing. That The resurrection of Jesus when all was made well. This is what is the most true. We can live this way with courage, compassion, conviction now because there is nothing that is more true about you. There is nothing that is more real about you or your circumstances than the fact that you have a Savior who would not let death stop him winning you. That is what is most true about you. This only leaves then our response. Today, you and I get to choose. We get to choose what is going to be most true in our life. Will it be for you the shifting circumstances of life? Will the most true thing be for you the sin of your past? 
Will the most true thing be for you the countless injustices in our world? All of these things are true. All of these things are real. The question is, will they be the truest things for you? Or or will you let the resurrection of Jesus Christ be your truest truth? Will you let the resurrection of Jesus Christ be your realest real? You see, if circumstances, sin, injustice, etc., if these become our starting points, then the resurrection of Jesus must always be simplified, whittled down to a one-time event. Something that saved your soul but doesn't have a lot to do with today. But, but if your starting point is the other way around, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is your beginning and your end, then you will be freed. You will be empowered to face every circumstance, every sin, every injustice with courage and conviction and compassion. Amen? So what will your response be? Will you respond mostly to the present circumstances of the moment or will you respond mostly to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? We need a people who don't just get excited about the empty cross one time a year. Don't get me wrong. I love this service. Marquita posted on Facebook, I'm like a kid before Christmas. I was like, me too. I love this service. I love this day. But we do not, our city does not need a people who get excited about an empty cross once a year. Our city needs a people who live daily as though the truest thing in Chicago and in Bronzeville and in your life is that Jesus is not in the ground anymore. Our city, our homes, our families, our workplaces need people who are convinced that when Jesus rose from the dead, it wasn't this interesting thing that happened. It wasn't even God showing how powerful and strong he can be. It was evidence of what God is doing and will finally do. Our world needs people who are living on that trajectory. If this is if our, as if this is, was our fundamental reality about all things. Are you with me? I don't think I need to like draw out the implications for you. I, I, I think any of us this morning with a pulse, we can start to see the implications of this in our life. Can we not? The difference in your marriage when you start with circumstances or when you start with the resurrected king who is ruling and reigning over all things. The difference in the job with the boss who does not like you, who annoys you. Letting that person be your starting point. Or showing up to work knowing who is in fact in charge of all things and where your identity comes from and where your hope comes from and where your future comes from. Are you with me? Looking into an uncertain future, into an uncertain bank account, and saying, this is the most important thing. How am I going to pay off that student debt? That matters. You got to pay it off. Is that the most important thing? Is that the truest thing? Is that the realest thing in your life? Or is there a God who owns everything. A God who said, I know about the needs of the sparrows. 
How much more do you think your heavenly Father knows your needs and wants to meet your needs according to his riches and glory? And that this God would give himself for your salvation. What will you respond to? What will you respond to? Will you respond to your circumstances? Will you respond to the voices of your past saying, you will never be more than, you will never get over, you will never heal from? Or will you respond? Will you respond to the God that said, I know you by name. I've been tracking with you. I've got a plan for you. Even when you went left and you were supposed to go right, even when you said yes and you really should have said no, I've been with you. I've given everything for you. What will you respond to? What will your starting? Do you see that this is practical stuff? Do you see that when we, say, when we make the theme of this service, thanks to Marquita's leading, what the resurrection means to me? We don't mean what it means in your head. We don't, we don't mean what it means in your heart to kind of help you sleep better at night. We mean, what does the resurrection mean in every single aspect of your life? We prayed earlier that there's not a square inch of your life that God is uninterested in. Hollis has got to go to work this afternoon. He's got to go to work every Sunday afternoon. God is at work there. Right? Some of you got to go back to to school tomorrow, and you don't. And some of you are teachers, and you're like, I wish I could be going back to school, but we got to walk out on Friday. We are surrounded by circumstances, trying to claim, trying to say, I'm most important. This is most important. Give your attention to this. Give your fear to this. Give your anxiety to this. All along, the cross of Jesus is still empty. All along, Jesus is still ruling and reigning. All along, that thing that is consuming you, Jesus is saying, I'm putting that under my feet. So what will you respond to? What will I respond to? Those flashes of joy, I'm convinced of this. Don't ask me to find it in the Bible, okay? This is like, this is like David's commentary right here. I am convinced those flashes of joy, C.S. Lewis called it being surprised by joy. I'm convinced that those moments, just like the resurrection of Jesus Christ, are meant to peel back for just a second and say, this, this is where all things are going. This is what it's going to be like one day. It won't be an instant. It won't be a moment. You won't have to get back to real life. This is real life. What will you respond to? What will be the realest real, the truest true for you? Amen? So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to give you a moment of quiet. Ask the Holy Spirit to ask how you can respond to this question. What will I respond to? So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that the cross is empty. Even now, Holy Spirit, would you take your living and active word and apply it to each one of our hearts Call us to respond in a specific way. Show us what we can repent of. Show us that we can accept the gift that you want to give us. Show us what practical, specific thing in our life needs to be set aside so that we can respond fully to the God who is near.
And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would confirm anything that you said to us just now. Any very specific, practical way that we can begin living more as though there's nothing more real, nothing more true, nothing better, nothing more, more worthwhile than our resurrected Savior. So give us clarity and then give us courage. We wouldn't walk from this place and then go back to so-called real life, but that we, in fact, would begin living more and more deeply into the realist life that you came to give, the blessed life, the abundant life, the kingdom of God, even now breaking into the kingdom of earth. Let us respond and live according to this. Again, we say thank you. We say thank you that this is possible. We say thank you that there are other ways to live besides the way of this world. We thank you that there is hope when there shouldn't be hope, that there is help when it shouldn't seem like there should be any help. We thank you that there is a third opportunity and a fourth opportunity and a fifth opportunity and a 77th opportunity to be healed and forgiven by you. We thank you for your grace and your salvation today. In Jesus' name, amen.